you guys, uh, if you've got your Bibles, by the way, we'd love you to be in Romans 12, verse 14. Um, this is Jeff Schulte. Some of you already know him. If you're on staff or you're one of our missionaries, you know who Jeff is because he has already invested in your life. Some of you know Jeff because you've sat across the table or in a circle with him in that. Um, in these past few years, Jeff has been uh, my own little coach in a lot of ways with Tin Man Ministries and the work that Jeff does. And, and the reason I've got Jeff here is honestly because we are in Romans 12, verse 14, 15, 16 this week, uh, where Paul's admonishing. Remember what we talked about? This is a church that was uh, isolated. They were alone. They were, they were trapped. They were in a government that was, uh, that was hostile towards them, uh, extreme poverty. And the question was like, what, what would the Holy Spirit say to a church like that? And so we started in Romans 12 because we felt like the Holy Spirit, what he said to them is just as relevant as it is for us. And so we've gone through prayer and, you know, prayer and uh, faithful in prayer, all of those things that we've talked about, uh, hospitality. But he says this, if you're trapped in a room with somebody, right, if you're in this case, they were almost in a slum. So they're really trapped together in a tight space. He's telling them, you guys are together. So look, rejoice with those who rejoice. OK, that means like if someone's happy, don't be sad for them, right? Don't be like a buzzkill, like, oh, well, good, good thing you've got it. Good, you know, good luck to you. So you rejoice with those who are rejoicing, but also mourn with those who mourn, which doesn't mean in the moment of like someone's sadness to say, well, look, God's working all things together for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose, and like skate right over the top of it. That's actually rejoicing with those who mourn. And he's saying, no, it's okay. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. There's this, when we're this close and tight a space, families, churches together, that's what I felt like Jeff could help us with this morning. There's a specialty that Jeff has uh, working specifically with men, but with families. Jeff was a pastor here in town for years. He's known, he's a coach to lots of people around the country in this area. And to, how about you start with what is Tin Man Ministries before you do it? Because well, people say conduit's a dumb name for a thing, but Tin yeah, Man, like what does someone, that mean? It's someone, so we'll spend a ton of time on that. If they went to tinman.life, they could find out about Tin Man. Yeah. Because I want to say something about conduit. Okay. And um, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was driving in here this morning, and, and uh, honestly, uh, Darren, and, and, and to your body here, I was a little weepy uh, thinking about doing this with you, being here with you, doing this with you. Um, you know, I've walked with the Lord for 40 years, and in, in the middle of that, I've just always prayed, Lord, help me be a part of things that cannot be explained by the sum of whatever gifting you've given me, which isn't a bad thing, but like help, I want it to be so beyond that that people would have to look and go, man, God must be at work there uh, for that to be happening. And I just want you to know a couple things. One, that's what I watch happening at Conduit, where I just look and go, gosh, God is at work there. And so I was thinking about that coming in and also just to sit with you because I have so much admiration and respect for you and your leadership. And to sit and get to do this together, I just went, it just, it hit me a lot coming in. And it's a lot of gratitude I bring to sit with you at this table, with you, the rest of the church, uh, the, church the conduits out there. And so I'd, I'd rather jump off from that. Well, that's good, um, that's a good one. Yeah. Cause I mean, it, I mean, I feel the same. I mean, I've yeah. known of Jeff for 25 years and Franklin, it was impossible not to know who Jeff was. His presence would just fill up a room uh, so he didn't really know me in all those years, but I knew him. So I feel it's kind of amazing to be sitting here now, this journey that, you know, we both took separately yeah. that is here. And, and some of that work that you're doing right now, I know, is in people's lives and families. Yes. And yeah. like, how is that? I know what I'm seeing in our church yeah. family. Talk about that for a second and I'll jump off that. Yeah. Because what I'm seeing in our family is that suddenly we're trapped in our, 
our houses together. So we're living in, I wouldn't say in harmony together, it's almost like somebody jumped, dumped a bunch of, of, of instruments in a room, yeah. but none of them are in tune. So there's, there's some, it's complicated. Like they're, they're in there, they're not at work, and now, now that we're actually coming out of that again, it seems like that, it's been a real uh, place of hurt for a lot in their marriages and in their parenting. Uh, and, and we don't have to go into the statistics because I can, I can give you names of people I've sat across the table with like this week whose marriages are like on the edge uh, after this happened. And it seems like, it's weird, it seems like the pandemic should have brought them closer together, the, the isolation, whatever, but it seems like it's driving them apart. Like what, what's going on? Well, and it wouldn't be that much different without doing too much of a, an overlay from the church in Rome to the church you know, in mm -hmm. Williamson County or Southern yeah. Williamson County, it would be, um, uh, th these were human beings hmm. that, that were feeling the pressure of the world out there and the world in here and not knowing what to do with it. And, hmm. and when we look at what Paul's saying to them in Romans chapter 12, there, there's, a, there's a context for those admonitions. Hmm. You know, he's not speaking into the, the, the ethosphere. I mean, he's not even speaking ahead to us necessarily. He's talking to a church that needed to hear something. Yeah. And before he even got into all this, this is how you relate to one another, he's also talking about the need to somehow be renewed, yeah. to have new experiences with God and with each other that would actually change them so they could have these kind of relational connections. And, and the way I think about it, and I don't know, uh, it's just, it comes out of my own life maybe. I think it comes out of my belief about what the church is. Uh, you know, I think in North America especially, we have this sense to where you know, we can have Jesus without his body when the truth is, the body of Christ being the body is not a metaphor in the scripture. Uh, the way the scripture talks about the head being Jesus and us being the body, yeah. it doesn't say it by way of comparison. It says it, and if you look at the context in 1 Corinthians 12 where that statement's made and the Greek grammar underneath that, he's saying that in a mystical way, there's a physical, tangible body of Jesus that's here right now, and we're touched by him, we experience him, we have him, through that body. Now, yes, the head's in heaven, but there's a body here. And, and yeah. I'm going to break some social distancing rules here, but yeah, like, yeah. like, no, I'm touching the body of Christ right here. Yeah. And I have that uniquely when the context of the local church is why the local church matters so much. Oh. And he says it in Romans 12, by the way, we're all one body. Like, that's not even 1 yeah. Corinthians 12. Like, he actually says we're one body, then goes right into the rejoice yeah. and mourn. And he starts out that whole chapter. He says, he says um, um, gosh, let me flip to it real quick. It's probably the first verse I ever learned, but I, wanna, I don't want to get it right. Yeah. Um, he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a holy living sacrifice, acceptable to God as your service of worship. But then he says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, we, we think as Americans, North Americans, like renewing of your mind, I got to think right. The problem is they didn't think about just, they didn't see themselves as a, a brain that somehow I can change the way I think, and that's necessarily going to change who I am, because that's not even Christian. That's not even, hmm. I mean, change the way I think to change the way I live. There's a lot of things that I don't live well, but I know well. <laughs> what changes me is relationships. Yeah. What changes me is a relationship with God and a relationship with you. Hmm. And, and here's the connection I'm making. I don't really, I can't really touch my relationship with God apart from my relationship with you. Hmm. That's the body. That's the experience of Christ through the body of Christ. So so here's what I think happens. If I can show this over here. Yeah. Jeff is high tech, so he's going to use yeah, the whiteboard. Like, anytime I go anywhere to do anything, I would just make sure I have a whiteboard because um, I think visually this way. But, but here's what I think happens. 
you know, all of us as humans, we, we were made, we were made for this thing called home. This thing called home. And home just means this. I have a place where I can be, where I can bring my inside outside, tell the truth about myself, and I can welcome there. Which, by the way, you're kind of already describing the church, but I'm just still describing the home. Yeah. The church is called a confessional community mm. where my ticket to be here, honestly, is my admission of what's going on on my inside. And people say, we're glad you're here. You find, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're made to be in this place called home. And home is a place of refreshment, uh, filling. Uh, 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 we're, just, we, we give, we're given what we need by these relationships that we can be ourselves in. And then here's what happens. We have to leave that home. We go out into a world post-Genesis chapter 3 where we get our behinds kicked, where we have to protect ourselves. We have to be on guard. We can't let everybody in. We have boundaries. They're important boundaries. And it's hard out there, and it's harsh. And by the way, uh, there's stuff out there, not just uh, COVID-19 germs, but like stuff, right? And then here's what happens. We come back home, and we're refreshed again, and we're healed, and we're cared for. And so as a child, even, it might look like sitting at the breakfast table. And this is, I know, kind of a little bit uh, theoretical for many families. But think about what you would want. A child sitting at the, dinner, at the breakfast table and he's talking about walk, going off to school, and he's saying, uh, Mommy or Daddy, like, I'm really afraid. I've got a test this morning. Or, you know, there's this really cute girl that sits next to me, and I freeze every time I sit at my desk, and I can't even concentrate on math. And, and then, you know, the, the, the coach doesn't seem to like me, Dad, or whatever, right? And, and, the, and the dad or the mom just says, and I will be praying for you, and I'm going to be with you, and you got a place to come home to tonight. And then that child comes home, and they get to talk about it. And they get touched, and they get put to bed at night, and they get cared about. And this is what it can look like. I come back to get what I need to go out to survive it. But here's the problem, and this is where I think we're all living a lot right now. For many of us, this place called home doesn't look like this. It looks like this. Where there's aspects of in here that feel really similar to what it feels like out here. And for some of us, there's not much difference between how I have to prepare to go home and how I have to prepare to go out there. Hmm. And here's the challenge for us right now. A lot of us are stuck in here. When truthfully, if we, told, if we just really said it, like I've heard guys tell me, I, I missed the 30-minute commute. Huh. I, I missed that I can get away. Because here's what happens. We're made for this thing called home. And when we don't have home, we create little homes, little places where we can get relief from, from, the, from having to protect ourselves. This could be stuff like pornography could be a home. Work could be a home. Religion could be a home. Yeah. Uh, anything that lets me or, or anything that gives me the possibility of relief from the struggle of life. And so it's kind of like we're made like this and we're made for that. So we'll take anything that even looks close. Huh. And so we end up going to these things, quite frankly, to get relief from the fact that we have nowhere to go home to. And here, now I'll get back to the church. Because the church is, you know, God created the family and he created the church to be home. And the good news is, when I came to know Christ 40 years ago, I, I left my family and I joined a new family hmm. with a new father and new brothers and new ways of relating and learning how over the last 40 years, and I hope I have 20, 30 more on this earth to, to learn how 
to, to be a safe place to you yeah. and you to me. And that's, I think there's, there's, there's where all of a sudden now you look at these things, these, these admonitions in Romans 12 to go, he's talking about how to be in a family with each other. Yeah. And right now with what we're experiencing in our culture, a lot of us are being forced to have to face that this is really true. And that's why you described what you described yeah. as happening to many of these homes. And everybody's going, I got to get out. I got to get out. I got to get out. I'm going crazy. I got to get out. Well, yeah. I got to get out to what? probably something here, or maybe just sometimes this looks better than this. Yeah. And that's just the truth for many of us. So what do we do? <laughs> well, I'm going to look at you, Pastor. <laughs> yeah. It's what you all are doing, Darren. Yeah. Huh. It's why you're a pastor. You think about it. I just gave you a year of seminary right there. It's called ecclesiology. What's the role and the purpose of the church? Huh. It, you, why, why is there a local church down here? Why are you all doing your groups and homes? Why are you... Why does it feel odd to not gather? Yeah. Because your family's not getting together. Yeah. And so, I, so this is like really uh, helpful because uh, the one thing that I've almost felt like is, this is going to sound like I'm completely over-spiritualizing or I'm getting in touch with my Pentecostal roots or whatever, but uh, how demonic is a cure that says the very thing that your microbiology needs yeah. is, what, is the exact opposite of what your soul needs? That being together, I was reading this week, uh, BBC had a piece about why Zoom calls are so exhausting. Yeah. Like I've looked at my wife more this past week and said, I'm just exhausted. And what these researchers are saying is that your minds, this is a quote from this BBC piece, our minds are together when our bodies feel we're not. That's yeah. dissonance, which causes people to live in conflicting feelings, which is exhausting. You can't, re but I'm wondering like even in that, like in the home environment, the Zoom thing, it's two-dimensional, so we're, my mind sees together, body doesn't. But I wonder how much of that is even in the home where we're together, but we're not. So there's but a dissonance. We're home, but not together. Yeah. And, and, we, and we have an expectation that it will be a place of replenishment and a place where I can tell the truth. And then here, I know this is the way I kind of do this. Like, if, if I'm isolated or feel distant from Brenda... Uh, I convince myself that I can survive that way. Problem mm. is, it's it, over time. I just, and I even say to myself, I see I'm 58 years old. I can do this for 25 more years. I can learn how to live apart from her. And the truth is, like eventually I wear down and go, God, I'm just flat out lonely. Yeah. And I and I just miss the connection with a woman that I just, you know, I've been married to for 35 years. Huh. And so then I decide, okay, I'm going to get my, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of push in and take a vulnerability risk, and yeah. I'm going to open up with something, and then it doesn't go perfectly. Yeah. And then I double down and say, well, I'm not doing that again, or I'm gonna, I, I know better, or I ought to know better, yeah. which really takes me back to my family of origin to go, you know what, that wasn't a safe place for that kind of open, yeah. which is why I'm so scared to do it with her. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, I, I just know for me, I, I, it goes back to this Romans 12, 1 and 2, that, that the renewing of your mind is talking about a re, uh, uh, these corrective experiences not just with the person that I'm wanting to connect to, but just with anyone, not anyone, but like in my family where I have an experience of actually getting to tell the truth. Yeah. Like I look, at, I look at what's happening now and I go, I, I think there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. Um, uh, by the way, fear is not a bad thing. Fear is why we're taking some precaution. Yeah. You know, fear, I, I've taught my children to be afraid of things. Yeah. But <laughs> I think fear has a bad rap in the church We'll go back to this idea of, can I tell the truth about myself to you? Um, typically in the church, if I told you, Darren, man, I'm really afraid, 
Um, I'm afraid to go to a restaurant, which I'm, people have a whole, across the spectrum of this thing. Yeah. Okay, I, you know, those people saying this is, doesn't exist all the way to, I'm gonna have to lock myself in my apartment by myself for the next five years to make sure I don't get sick. Like it's the whole yeah. thing, right? There's a lot going on there. But I go, what do I do with that? Because yeah. typically if I were to say, hey, I'm really afraid, What's, the, what's sort of the church answer to my fear? Well, the church answer is uh, fear not, perfect love casts out all fear. There's 365 no fears in the Bible, yeah. so one for every day. Like that's the typical, because it, it fits really good on the mirror or on the refrigerator. Well, and you just quoted 1 John 4, uh -huh. which go back, I love Dan Allender's quote on this. Dan Allender says, um, uh, we use the truth to keep us from the truth. <laughs> okay, and that was an example of that. 1 John yeah. chapter 4 has nothing to do with being afraid of stuff that's scary. Other than this, 1 John chapter 4 is about our security in Christ. And what John's telling the believers, if you know you belong to Christ, you don't have to be afraid that in that day he's going to turn the other way on you. And the more you know you belong to him because he is love and his love is in you, the less afraid you'll be of that day. And that perfect love over time as you settle in who you are in Christ, you won't be afraid of that future. That's the context of 1 John yeah. 4. Yeah. The other one is uh, God's not giving us a spirit of fear but yeah. of courage. Well, the word there used in 1 Timothy is not fear, it's cowardice. That God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of courage. And anyone that's been around a courageous man or woman knows that a courageous person isn't courageous because they're not afraid. They're courageous because they're afraid, but something matters enough to them that they'll go do what they're afraid of because they're just, because something really matters. Courage is not the absence of fear. And those 365 fear knots, go read most of them. Most of them have to do with that I have a Father in heaven that will be with me in a place that's scary. Psalm 23, many know it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yeah. scary place, I fear no evil. Why? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Hmm. I don't have to be afraid because I have him with me in the valley. You know, I, I've done this with all, I think I've got six kids and they're all grown, but there's none of them that at some point has not cried out in the middle of the night because there was a boogeyman yeah. in their room. And here's what I can know by experience. That child didn't need me to walk in there and talk them out of how afraid they were because their fear was their truth. Yeah. Now, it wasn't true that there was a boogeyman. Now, sometimes there is. You yeah. better be afraid. But in this case, there wasn't. Here's what I did. I didn't walk in, turn on a light, open up a closet door and say, look, what are you doing? There's nothing to be afraid of. We're here. That's not what I did. And that's not what most parents have done. I walk in the room. Mm -hmm sometimes in a dark room, lay on the bed next to that child, put my arm around that child. I can feel their heart rate slow. I can feel their breathing calm. And within minutes, they're sleeping in my arms. Because yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they are a comfort to me. Hmm. That the fear nots are an invitation to us to have a Father in heaven who's with us. Who, in fact, yeah. even, yeah, who, that, that's to me the invitation of, the admission of my fear to not have to be alone. Because yeah. it's one thing to be afraid, nothing to be afraid alone. Yeah. And am I gonna be okay? Yeah. Am I gonna be okay? At the end of the day, will I be okay? Well, who, yeah. only if I'm not alone in it, I think. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, it makes sense because, so the world that I would have come out of would have said to, that fear not means, Actually, what they really mean is pretend like you're not afraid, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, people have been part of conduit for any length of time. I've, I've talked about, you know, the, the challenges I had with panic attacks. I didn't even know what they were. Yeah. And what I learned later was that they were me stuffing fear down for most of my life as opposed to saying, okay, he's actually with me in the fear 
and will lead me out of it. That's a whole different way of looking at it, is, uh, is not an ignoring of it, but rather almost like a, you're on the ride, and if I ride it into this healthy way with the Father, uh, which has helped me immensely. With the Father, with the Son, who's the head of the body, and I would say, and with the body, which yeah. is the point to say, can yeah. I sit with anyone and talk to them about how afraid I am? Yeah. Or how lonely, how lonely right. I am? Or you know what? This is what's happening in my home right now. I feel so much guilt and shame. I don't know where to take that. And I don't know where to go. And so here's what happens. I just got to get out somehow. Yeah. Huh. And getting out to here isn't going to help me. So, boy, I tell you, and this is, by the way, most of these will get me into trouble. Yeah. I say get me into trouble, like they don't give me what I really yeah. was made for, but they're giving me something that's temporary, that feels yeah. like relief, that then is going to lead me in a worse place than before I actually went there. Yeah. If that makes any sense, too. Yeah, no, it does. And I think that that's, if there's one thing that I know is already here and will be here in force in the decade to come, is the amount of addictions that are either reignited here or are being born here. Uh, Place of Hope, uh, we were heavily invested for years there, is full of people that didn't have that safe home, and so yeah. they went to the little homes, mm -hmm. to the place where they couldn't get out of it. Well, and which is happening, I think, in many cases now yeah. for a lot of us, because here's the thing. If you grew up in that home, uh, you're, gonna, you're gonna find a place it gives you your real need. I need to belong and matter somewhere where who I am is okay. And so as children in our young adult lives in these homes, many of us did find places that helped us survive it. Yeah. And now under pressure again, we tend to go back to those reliable sources that hmm. we trusted. We go home. We go home. You know, can, can I take yeah. us further in the New Testament past Romans yeah. to Philippians? Yeah. Paul says this in Philippians 4, same writer of Romans, mm -hmm. also writing Philippians. He says this, in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Verse 5 of Philippians 4, he says, he says, Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. He says, The Lord is near. Hmm. And that means two things. He's near as in he's coming, but he's near as in he's near. Okay? And then he says this, very, very well-known verse, but often taken out of context. Again, like using the truth to keep us from the truth. He says, he says Be anxious for nothing. Now, that word anxious there, it's not the word fear. He's not telling us not to be afraid. He's saying, don't be anxious. Yeah. Well, what is anxiety? Anxiety is that physiological response to something bad's happening, and I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Uh, anxiety is, I need, I'm afraid something's going to happen, so now I have to be in control of my environment to try to keep what I'm afraid of from happening or continuing. So I try to, I try to create all the scenarios to be prepared for what I think is going to happen. That's why I can't sleep and my mind is spinning. Yeah. And so I move to anxiety, which is that physiological response to fear. Yeah. And then I try to be in control of what I cannot control. And then I end up raging. Yeah. And you wonder, you wonder why you're at home blowing up. Okay? Blowing yeah. up. Yeah. Because, we, because most of what we cannot control in our environment that we're afraid around is people. I'm yeah. afraid she's never going to meet my needs. I'm afraid she's, my life's never going to look like this. And it's going to be his fault or her fault or that child that is unmanageable. And, and I can't fix any of it. And so now I rage against it. And that's not a relief either. And it's all about how afraid I am. But I can't tell anyone I'm afraid. All I can do is, get, all I can do is try to control it, manage it. Yeah. There's anxiety. My body feels it. I'm overwhelmed. So now I got to rage. And what we miss is, what we miss is, I'm going to put it up here too. What we miss is this. 
And to me, this has been such a gift to me. Really, I said I've known the Lord for 40 years, but I've, I've probably not had permission to be a human being, maybe but for the last 15, <laughs> and, and had to repent of a lot of ministry where I was teaching people how to buck up and, 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 and quite frankly, just like be robots. Yeah. And even this, that somehow spiritual maturity is that I'm not afraid. I'll tell you this right now. I've, I've, I, when I say, okay, I've known the Lord for almost 40 years. I would hope I'm more spiritually mature than I was as a freshman in college. Yeah. I think I am. And I'm way more afraid of how much more afraid I am. I'm way more aware of how much more afraid I am about so much in my life, which sends me in this direction. Why? So I feel fear, and I can tell the truth about it. In my home, home might be with you. Home might be in my own home. Home might be with a few men or some couples. Well, that leads me to a place called wisdom. Because I know there's things that bad that are out there can happen, I, I can navigate that. But it also leads me to this. Watch this. Faith. You go, what's faith got to do with fear? If I'm afraid, I, I'm, I'm that child laying in that bed, imagining a real or, or having a real or imagined boogeyman in my life. And I'm crying out like the child going, daddy, daddy, daddy. And as a father, I've never wanted those children to lay in there and prove to me they don't need me. I want them to cry out. Yeah. So faith is the expression of a need that I have because I'm afraid. And what do I need? I need refuge. I may need protection. I may need help. And the admission of this walks me by faith to someone that can provide this. And that may be you in the body. It may be just his comfort that he's near to me. And so the passage says this. It says, be anxious for, you can't control all this. Be anxious for nothing, but by everything, he says, which means everything. It's an emphatic everything. He says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, which really means this. You bring yourself, you bring what you need, and you can be grateful that I care about all those things. That's what that's saying. Okay. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then he says this. And then this thing called, verse 7, a peace of God which surpasses all my comprehension. This, this trying to figure out how to get through this. These answers that have always worked that haven't worked. Like you'll have something, this peace that will be beyond that, this unexplainable, that, this beyond what you could create by the, all the methods you do to get relief in your life. He says, will guard, military term, your hearts and your minds, your whole self in Christ. And I go, so what's it look like for me? A lot of it, what it's like for me, Darren, is can I be in places? And I think this is where we're going as we start to like, like, like let some of these um, uh, uh, government, the government, when the government begins to ease and we start to have more freedom again, we're going to have to pay attention to what we're feeling about that, yeah. both with where we're coming from, with what I showed before, but also with other people being at different places. Hmm. And can they have their feelings in front of me and I can have mine in front of them? Again, I'm going to go back to this which is what families do. Yeah. Hmm. So if I'm in a small group, I'm wondering, is it okay with me that maybe that person isn't ready to be hugged by me, but God, I'm dying for someone to appropriately just physically touch me again or be touched, to be held, to, be, to hold, to shake. I, I'm not a handshaker, I'm a hugger. But like just, just to hug, yeah. 
to go, gosh, I'm being touched. I'm mad or someone sees me. There's a connection. Hmm. And maybe some people aren't ready for that, but it's okay. We can, we can actually talk about the elephant in the room, yeah. which is what functional families do. Yeah. They talk about the elephant. There's an elephant in every family. I mean, even in the church family, there are elephants. But can we talk about them? That's what makes a family functional. And to that end, when I think about, okay, this, it's May, which yeah. is crazy, because like yesterday it was February. But yeah. in May, um, we're beginning to look at even like elective surgeries or dental procedures or things that we've been putting off. Uh, so that's one thing we're doing. We're, we're looking at the things that we haven't been able to do. We want to do them now. Yeah. Um, but I think that it would be, I don't know, wise would be the right word. <laughs> as we're adding stuff back in again to make sure, is that something I really need to add? Uh, and, and then were there things that I didn't have that now I'm, I'm officially aware that I need it that more than I realized and adding it. So I would say in our church family, uh, James Boyd, who's our, uh, he leads our small groups, he's got probably the hardest job in the church because he's trying to convince Middle Tennessee families to make time, because they don't have time. There's nobody that's doing this that, quote, has time. They're having to make it. They're prioritizing uh, what they're, they're making time for what they prioritize. Mm -hmm. uh, so him trying to convince somebody that they need something that they even conceptually say they need or don't, but won't make time for. Like, what, what would you give us advice for? I'm trying to think of the, how to frame the question. To move into those that are already in a small group. Okay, let's say yeah. that. Let's start with that. Uh, Tracy Rogers, uh, the small group that they lead there, they started uh, last week with, they called it the Covent 19, which is, she set a timer for 19 minutes and everybody sitting in their socially distant circle can say whatever they were feeling at that moment. And after 19 minutes, you know, we're, gonna, we're not gonna camp and just stay here all night, but there was a moment to vent that was, I thought was hilarious and brilliant. Um, how do we come back to those groups in a way that's healthy and what should we be doing in a group? Uh, if you don't know this, maybe you do if you're watching, but uh, Jeff and, and Phil Herndon actually wrote Voice of the Heart uh, study, Bible study, Bible yeah. study which uh, uh, many of our small groups have already gone through. So you maybe you didn't even know you were reading Jeff's work, but you are. Uh, so some groups have already been there. So what do we do for those groups and then for those that maybe aren't a part of it? Because when you are reading a description of church, I would say that probably 20% or 30% of conduit might be experiencing church in that way. Yeah. And I would rather that be 100% of, of us that are experiencing that. How do you recommend somebody to, to move forward in finding that kind of a community? Um, or what do you want, as pastors, what do we do? Yeah. Because it's not well, there. Here's what I will say. Yeah. You know, um, um, and any, you guys do small home fellowships. What are they, what are they called it? Uh, uh, deeper. Deeper. Yeah, ironically. Uh, any church that does groups like that, and I've consulted and worked with churches all over the country, I always tell, and, and I've always tell leaders, I said, look, uh, doing small groups in a church or deeper type groups is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Because at any given time, the worst things happening in your church are probably going to be happening in those small groups. But the reason to do them is because at the same time that the worst things are happening, the best things are happening, hmm. which means they're going to be really messy. They're going to be really messy. And so anywhere along the spectrum, what I'd say is that, 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 that each one of us are going to have to see, to be able to tell the truth about where we're at, be able to acknowledge the vulnerability of what we might need, hmm. and then take some small step into that. And you're going to it's going to be a faith walk. And the faith is this, 
because we come from those homes I described earlier, a lot of us, we're scared of those relationships. Like we want, we're doing this all the time, Mm -hmm. all the time. Like I want and it terrifies me. I want and it terrifies me. And I just think there's gonna to have to be a lot of grace given to each other that we kind of can tell the truth about our want and know that we're all afraid. We're all afraid, we're all afraid of the very intimacy that we're dying to have. And these groups hmm. are gonna be along the spectrum of how we can and can't experience it. And so if someone's not in a group, there's a reason why they're not. It's just, I don't know if I wanna do that. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a, and there, people are in a group, there are people in the group managing how much those people in the group know about them. And I would just say, as a matter of like the opportunity that's before us is we're all coming out of this thing, is instead of it even just being a co-vent, like vent about how angry we are at this, or I don't like that, or I'm going crazy, whatever, is to be able to say, gosh, I, here's, here's my check-in in this group today. I'm, I've been terribly lonely. This is really scary for me. My wife and I have been hurting each other. Um, I feel a ton of guilt and shame about how I've dealt with this or dealt with relationships with my child or whatever it might be. Like, talk about the, talk about the, 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 the talk in a language that is real vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be messy and awkward. But what I've learned over the last, even 15 years of my life is if I tell the truth about myself, people who want good for me will move toward me and those who don't won't. But I've not been left alone. And that's the risk that I continue to choose to take because I know I cannot live alone. I know I come from a family that taught me how to protect myself, but also know it's, it's surviving, not living, yeah. when I don't learn in this family, in this family, that I don't have places where I can do that. Yeah. And it's just the, the, the passion in me to want to be alive and to live forces that out of me. And, and it's going to be a, these little small steps of faith, everything from... And I get to just say, name the elephants. And the elephants are, I'm hurting, I'm lonely, I'm afraid. There's a, I, I'm grieving some stuff. Or I got a lot of guilt and shame about some things that have been happening. Because this is kind of where I went to those little islands. This is where I tend to go. And I went and found some of those areas of my life that in the past were a relief. But they're destroying my life right now. And I, I just need someone to walk with me. And the church is the place to come to tell the truth about that. Yeah. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. No one's going to talk me out of it or try to fix me. No one's going to fix me, but they'll be with me. Hmm. And there's the healing. Yeah. There's a, uh, as I've there's been, a lot in there. I, I just, know, right? Well, it's a good thing we record these things. <laughs> when we are um, moving into this next phase, you know, we're going to get these government restrictions. And, you know, there's this part of me that wants to just, you know, demand our religious rights and whatever. And, but there's this other bigger part that I feel like is, okay, but what is, if God... Maybe God wants us to be in smaller groups on purpose, and this is a great opportunity to not stick a flag in the ground for my religious rights, as opposed to saying, "Okay, God, what are you doing in this moment?" Yeah. So if our, I mean, our building is uh, is pretty small. Obviously, we're building something, uh, but so whatever we come back in is even going to be smaller. Whether it's you know, seventeen small gatherings together, we don't, we still don't even know what it looks like. Well, okay, I work with churches all over the country. Okay, big and small. And here's what happens. I watch big churches trying to get small huh. in terms of what they experience. And I watch small churches wishing they were big because they want the resources and the scalability and the opportunity that big churches can create. And I'm telling you what I tell the, the little churches all the time. Man, you're a little church, be a little church. Like you, like what you're, what, 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 what the opportunity there is what everyone else is trying to recreate. Yeah. And what I tell big churches 
the bigger you get, the smaller you need to stay. Hmm. And so what really is happening with this COVID is it's forcing small, which quite frankly is the only place where we can have these kind of relationships. Yeah. That kind of vulnerability does not happen in big places. That's called no boundaries. Yeah. I can't be this open with everybody. Right. But I need a small place that feels safe enough that I can. And I think that's the press right now of the way churches are having to learn how to do life. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about Conduit is you guys already embrace the value. This is not a huge new thing for you all, yeah. which is the, the real opportunity. Uh, some churches are going, man, we have to completely retool from building huh. uh, Fords to uh, a PPE masks. Like it's yeah. just such a, a drastic. But you guys are kind of, no, 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 this is kind of who we are. So how do, we, how do we keep pushing into who we already know we are and what we already value? Yeah. That's the opportunity for conduit. Yeah, I mean, that's helpful for us because that, you know, uh, the irony for us uh, is, I mean, I guess by some standards, we, we would be considered a big church, but because our building is so small, uh -huh. nobody actually knows it. Like if you're yeah. sitting out on a Sunday, you don't think, oh, there's 800 people in this church because you just see the 200 or so in this little building. And so we've already kind of got that small vibe anyway and to be able to take it into our, uh, our small groups, our, our ministries. I mean, there's a, I've heard it over and over again. You've heard it too. I mean, actually, uh, Dr. Cottle uh, is one of our church family. He, he tells me that his recovery group feels more like a church or what he wishes a church felt like yeah. than church does. And I've heard that all, uh, over and over and over again in AA groups. Because what, what happens in an AA group? You tell the truth about yourself. No one tries to fix you. And here's how the group ends. Here, yeah. God, grant me the serenity peace. Grant me the strength to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And then my favorite part of any 12-step group I've ever been in, keep coming back. Yeah. I keep coming back. Like, you brought that, I want you back. Because I will always walk to the car and go, I cannot believe, come on, leave a small group and go, I got, was really vulnerable. Man, I, I can't believe I shared that. Oh my, I don't know what to do. No, someone looked at me and said, keep coming back. Yeah. And you've been in groups with me before. Not yeah. only do we say keep coming back, but we all hug each other. Yeah, and then we come back. And then we come back. Yeah. No matter what got shared, come back. Which, by the way, that's the church. Yeah. That is the church, which is why that comparison yeah. gets made all the time. I love it. Love it. Well, and I feel like, and obviously our time is up, but I feel like as we are, uh, if you guys are watching wherever it is and you're, it's funny, I never wanted to be a video campus, multi-campus, but I've got like apparently like 200 campuses now. Uh, <laughs> they've all just got like four people in them. But, uh, uh, but this is not, it's not even my, like this is for sure not my sweet spot. It's yeah. just not who I was wired to be. And, and I think that if we've got, if we're going to rebuild this, uh, let me put it this way. When we started this 10 years ago, I remember thinking, I don't want to grow old in a church that I hate. Yeah. If I, if I had to be a pastor, because we liked, I mean, Chen and I, we liked our life. We weren't looking yeah. for a job. Like, we had one. It wasn't a career move. And I thought, I don't want to grow old in a church I hate. And so we're 10 years in, and I love what we're doing. I mean, I love 98% of what we're mm -hmm. doing. But if, if I were to think through the next 10 years, which I've been thinking a lot about, what would that look like? What would it look like? And I think that, whether it's half of our church or 10, I don't know, 10% of our church would participate in this. I want this to be something that is where conduit puts a flag in the ground on, on, on these types of Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice, yes. mourn with those who mourn, uh, relationships with Christ together. Uh, while we're serving, while we're doing mission, we aren't going to stop any of that, but we can do it from a healthy place, not out of a manic place of trying Correct. to heal the father wound in Haiti. Yes. Right? Jesus wants to heal the father wound here yes. and go... And then as you're practicing those things, go back to the way that chapter started. There's a renewing that happens 
It yeah. starts with a corrective experience yeah. that tells me that where I come from doesn't have to be my reality today, that I do have this new family called the body of Christ where I can take, I may be, I'm going to have to take some, mm. some risks here, yeah. which is a walk of faith, yeah. but God, but I'll step into that. Mm. And that's, when, that's where the rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I'm not going to have to be fixed, but someone's going to be with me, which is, goes back to the home as a place of replenishment and preparation and to come back a place of healing. Yeah. So I'm not yeah. familyless at all. I've been adopted into this new family with, with a new way I can live that I'm going to spend the rest of my life learning how to live that way with these relationships. And uh, a, a wise man said, I heard him say it, um, said it to me, it takes a lifetime to learn how to live. And I think it's going to take a lifetime to learn to be in this new family. Huh. But, but hopefully I got enough life to still be learning it before I actually get to have it. You know, Paul said, though I see through a glass darkly, someday I'll see face to face. It is through a glass darkly and someday mm. face to face, but right now I just want to scratch a little bit more off that glass to see more. a little bit more and to have a little bit more, if that oh, makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, for those of you that are at home right now, thank you for being with us today. Um, if this is remotely scratching you where you're itch, uh, I, I haven't even told James this, but just go ahead and email james at conduitchurch.com. We are uh, beginning to say to those that are not in a small group, we, you feel it, here's your chance. Before you fill your calendar up with everything else, yeah. put this in it. Uh, for those of you that are already in it, uh, we want you to have the best possible you know, Jesus experience you can. So, so be watching uh, for how we're going to be unfolding this. Just know that if I had the plan right now, I would roll it out. I just know that we're going to move forward. We're going to move forward uh, imperfectly, but into this is where we're moving. We're going to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're going to mourn with those who mourn. And we're going to be like the church in Rome, which was they were they changed the world uh, from that position. So I want to pray for you before you uh, run off. Jesus, thank you. You've been so good to us. I am uh, like my heart is full this morning. Uh, I'm just grateful. If nothing else, that I got to share some of the wisdom that Jeff has shared with me. It's been shared now with my entire church family. That's so awesome. I'm so grateful for that. And Father, for those that have been uh, dropping their prayer requests in the comments this morning, you said when we don't know how to pray that the Holy Spirit is already praying on our behalf. I don't even know what those requests are, but you do, Lord. And so we know that uh, you are moving on their behalf. And Lord, maybe you would move on people's hearts who are seeing those comments to reach out to each other and pray for each other this morning. Thank you for your goodness and for your kindness. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.